Good morning. Uh, When talking through scripture, we tend to pick and choose our favorite passages and then use those to bulk up our beliefs and biases. We like them to speak for what we already think and not let them transform who we are into a more Christ-like person. This is why it is important to let the story continue, to look at the full narrative. And that is why we're sitting here today, to continue the narrative. So today in our teaching, this teaching is actually one that started four weeks ago. And this becomes evident when we get to one magic word, the word and. Let's look at Mark chapter 9. Now, this is a chapter where Jesus pushes really hard on character deficiencies in the disciples. In verses um, 29, Jesus addresses the disciples' lack of prayer. They, they, could cast out a de- they couldn't cast out a demon because of their lack of prayer, lack of connection to the Father. Now, they, they continue then on this, this walking journey. And Jesus points out that he is going to be killed. He gives them this prophetic insight into the future of his earthly form. In verses 33, the the story continues as the group enters Capernaum and the disciples are arguing about which of them is the greatest disciple. This is a classic who would win match from our childhoods. Darth Vader versus Voldemort. Peter versus John. John versus James. Obviously, Jesus would pick James. They're kind of related. But then verse 36 comes along and Jesus uses a child to illustrate the difference between the behaviors of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. He calls them the little ones. He uses these children to illustrate the giant faith of those who believed in him and follow his commandments. Now, there are those who traded in their opinions, their rights, their prestige for humility. These are the people who wear contentment, confidence, and consideration instead of trying to get their own way. These are the little ones. Then in verse 38, we have a group of guys who are casting out demons but are not from the famous 12. They are other people out there doing the same things that the disciples were doing but ironically more successful. Jesus leans into his teaching about character again, pointing out that just because people are different, it doesn't mean they're wrong. And then the infamous word appears, and. This is where we pick up our story, Mark chapter 9, verses 42. And. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
that's kind of a gruesome ending to this piece of scripture. And the fire is not quenched. The worm does not die. Now, coming out of some really big concepts and teachings, this is another set of verses that has some deep meaning that we cannot skip over too quickly. Understanding some of those deep meanings is going to help us be able to apply teachings to our lives that Jesus is trying to convey and has been for 2,000 years. Here's some of the amazing first century imagery and even some definitions that we can look at to help us out a little bit this morning. Now regarding the topic of sin, the Lexham Dictionary gives us a a bit of a definition. It says this, the broad concept of sin as failing is failing to live up to an expected standard of conduct or as a violation of cultural customs or laws that can be seen in every culture and society throughout history. It goes on to say, various religions also see sin as a violation of the divine will. This concept has developed in various ways in various societies by examining the background of the Old Testament and the New Testament, as well as the ancient Jewish and Christian canons themselves, we can see particular ways in which early Jewish and Christians, sorry, early Jews and Christians came to understand sin. For me, I like to think of sin as actions that are contrary to the teachings of Jesus not the teachings of a televangelist who tells us what to believe, even the teachings of great communicators or YouTube superstars, but Jesus. Just because something is said well doesn't mean it reflects Jesus' heart. The the second term we should define is hell, and how is used in this particular scripture. The English word for hell is translated uh, four different ways. There's four words that, when translated, turn into hell. This particular one in this scripture is Gehenna, also known as the Valley of Hinnon. Now, Jesus was mixing together futurist futurist concepts with their memory of stories gone by and even present tensions with the geographical location that he was speaking of in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. The same place is referenced, but not as hell. Its geographical significance is that it sits just south of Jerusalem in a valley. And when Jesus' first century audience heard this, they would recall the history of this place, a place where children would be sacrificed to foreign gods, bodies dumped to get rid of them, a place where you would find fire that never goes out. And if you had to get rid of something gross, this is where you were going to dump it. What is the worst place you can imagine ever? It's here. So if you wanted to find somewhere that would be awful to be forever, it's Gehenna. It's this hell. The irony of scripture never stops though. Today, this exact same place is an urban park that you can visit and even have a picnic lunch there. That's right. You can have lunch in hell. Lastly, How about the concept of the millstone, the imagery of the millstone, a giant stone that would need to be pulled by work animals? Nothing you were created to pull or push. Um, You're not strong enough. 
people aren't strong enough to tackle a millstone. So for this to be around someone's neck, this is another piece of Jesus' hyperbole. It's too much for us to handle. There is, of course, a set of messages in this scripture that we must pay attention to. And um, it comes to two basic statements. The first one, don't push your hangups on someone else. And the second one, take responsibility for your own sin. We talked about when the disciples were trying to play who would win with Jesus. Now, I think this is Jesus using their own craziness against them. So it's like, well, what's worse, living in a fire pit or living with one hand? What's worse, being thrown into fire and worms or hopping on one foot forever? What's worse, going into that same fire and worm scenario or pulling out your own eye. It gets ridiculous, right? But let's go back to the first statement. The first statement, don't push your hangups on someone else. Who, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a, uh, to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That's, that's the quote. Some translations come out as, causes to some stumble in some of your Bibles. But the original language is if anyone offends one of these. In other words, we need to take the advice of our moms and our grandmothers and mind our own plates and keep our opinions to ourselves a little more often. If someone asks you if the soup is good and the soup is terrible, just smile and nod. You don't need to add commentary. For some of this, is, this is kind of a hard thing. But causing offense is pretty easy to do if you're not watching your words. Instead, we can just walk humbly with the people around us. The second statement is really where the bulk of what Jesus was talking about comes in, especially using the three illustrations to get his point across. His point is not all that hidden. You need to take responsibility for your own sin, for your own problems that you're causing. Big concept here. It is so much quicker to throw the blame and tell people around you that they're ruining your life, but all that happens is you wreck their day and pull them down to your level. You don't even need to care about Jesus to apply this scripture to your own life. This is just good old-fashioned how to be an adult. Now, let's look at Christian culture for a bit, um, specifically the culture I grew up in. I was born in 1979. I'm a proud Generation Xer. Now, I remember being shown old bomb shelters that were leftovers from the Cold War. I, I grew up on G.I. Joe and the Dukes of Hazard. My goal in life was really simple, be really awesome at something. Then as you get older, Life starts to change, and girls become the most important thing for a guy. Now, the problem with the evangelical culture of the 90s is that we had a whole system in place to teach us that um, guys who lust, it isn't actually the guy's problem. This is the girl's fault. If they were just to wear potato sacks instead of um, regular clothes, then guys wouldn't have lust issues. I sat through church men's ministries learning that I could skip the whole like how to become a good biblical adult and um, move on with life 
And all I had to do is blame women for my issues. Books and books and movements and ministries galore came out of this for this like 20 year window. It was absolutely insane. And many years later, we're finally seeing the results of that. And we have men acting like boys and women who spent the majority of their lives being shamed for wearing a two-piece bathing suit. It's the same teachings that, that say that you just have to raise boys to be more manly. It cuts out responsibility and pushes the blame on someone else. Now, I, boys don't need to be more manly. They need to be more respectful and learn to take responsibility for their issues so parents don't have to pay for religious trauma counseling in 20 years. That's my opinion. By throwing the blame for bad behavior to others, we completely skip what Jesus is trying to teach us for the last 2,000 years. It's time to grow up. Here are three what-if statements that I believe we can apply to our lives today to help us move a little closer to being like Jesus. So out of this scripture, think of them like this. What if we were more concerned about our own lives than the lives of people in the society around us, most of which we don't even know? Statement two, what if... We accepted and loved our neighbors as ourselves and kept our mouths shut about how we think they're living. Statement number three, what if today Jesus was saying, don't worry about them. Let's just work on you and get you to a place that we can all agree is healthy. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus has been teaching compassion, humility, how to deal with competition, and now how to deal with our own sin. Take responsibility. If you find yourself today in a place where you know you're living in sin, whatever proportion that is for you, and I don't know that what it even means to you, but I invite you to do a few things. Number one, take responsibility for your actions we must realize that our actions are no one's responsibility other than ours. I can't force you to be a jerk. I can't force you to gossip. I can't force you to be a glutton. We make decisions. Secondly, I encourage you to spend a few moments with Jesus and repent and ask him what you need to change in your life so that you can become more like him. Make no mistake, he, does, he is going to ask us to change. I won't recommend cutting off a foot, but maybe losing some apps on your phone or a friendship is a good start. Thirdly, I encourage you and challenge you this week to stay in your own lane. The people around you don't need a running commentary of what you think is wrong with them. Pray for them and encourage them. We are all on a journey to become better people and become more like Jesus. Jesus' call to the disciples is to become healthy adults. And it is a call that we need to take as well. We can accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God, for our families and our futures by continuing on this discipleship journey and not just picking and choosing the stuff we want to do. Let me pray for you. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get an opportunity to even connect like this. And I pray that you would begin to speak to our hearts, show us the stuff that you want us to address, and help us to become better adults. Even if, it, even if you're a teenager, help you to become the best teenager you can become. Lord God, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for everything you speak to us and everything you're doing for our amazing church. We love you in your name, amen.